So welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Do we have anyone in the room that's here for the first time tonight? First of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to perceive us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for a number of years now. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? yes. So what, what we try and do here is just show you how to find your experience in it. And I do that by showing you how I find my experience in it. So I'll encourage you to have yours, and if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in here tonight. And when we talk to you about a spiritual experience, what are we talking about? A sensory experience, power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing in. It may just be a revelation. It may just be an inspiration. But when you feel it, I'll know. And I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration. Fair enough? The other thing we got to tell you in here, if you're, how many members are in the room tonight? Good. A bunch of you. Thank you for coming out. We know you got a heavy schedule. Thank you. Um, if you want your family to come and no one's told you, and please tell your fellow members, if you want the family to come spend this time with you, and Saturday at Chaplain Lee's Recovery Church Service, the doors open at 6.15, bring the family in, spend some time with them, regardless of how long you've been here, even your first day or days, and, and you know, come into the, to the church service and the meeting. We want them to see you and all the preparation you're making in returning to society. It, it helps them to get to see you doing something different than when they last saw you, and it helps you to kind of reestablish. Fair enough? So tonight, we're a little light. So I, you, know, you may have heard a rumor. We've had some kerfuffles with bringing people here and what have you. We're working through all that, but that's what you see is the obvious. We're down 100 or so people than we would normally have around. So bear with us. We're, we're, I'm living in the solution today, but we'll announce it formally later in, in the week. <laughs> so, um, so tonight we're going to take a look at the instruction for step four. That could be the other reason why no one's here. So we're going to go to bottom of page 63, and we're going to talk about the author's experience. Just a little review. When they say we, who are they talking about? The first 100. No one in our modern fellowships is among that we. So they're going to talk about the experience they had, and then it's our job to align our experience with theirs, or admit candidly that my experience does indeed not align with theirs. Right? And I call that to your attention because we start with an expression from them on the bottom of page 63. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. How many of you would describe your first attempt at a four-step as something less than a launching? 
So they're describing what happened to them, and you're describing something less than that. What happened? Do you think it would make sense to review what they said happened in two that empowered their three? Right? What's the story of the old timers told us? If there's three frogs on a log and one makes a decision to jump, how many frogs are left on the log? Three, because all he did was make a decision. He didn't jump. There was no action to indicate the decision. So if you didn't enact the decision, then perhaps we need to go back and take a look at the encounter in two, because the encounter in two is all the power I need. Does it make sense? Okay. It says, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us had never attempted. Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. How many of you have concluded that there was probably something blocking you from that power to live that you desperately need. They, they told us what that was in their experience in our step two encounter, right? That it, it may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna have to go look at those things and identify what they are so that I can prepare myself to get them cast out, yes? Okay. So, so it says our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. How many of you suspected that your drug, whatever it is, alcohol, methamphetamine, opiates, was, was more a symptom of an underlying problem than the main problem? And it was a very evident problem, yes? But most of us had some experience with stopping for a time, and the problem didn't go away. Yes? So that, that outward manifestation was a symptom. Remember they told me that self manifested in various ways is what had defeated me. That obsession to find pleasure in chemicals was killing me. I was out of balance in my pain pleasure receptors. Anyone? No one else but me and Lance. Good. All right. All right, so the reason we might want to do that is we're a little bit baffled by, in spite of the knowledge we have of ourselves, we can't stop doing that which we keep doing, even though we desperately don't want to do it. And then we can manifest no outward action that shows we don't want to do it, and then we convince ourselves, well, I decided. Any of you ever do that? And I just go into this relentless beating of myself. Anyone else? Okay. All right. So that, that's the reason. For all those reasons, they're going to go into why we might want to do step four. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It's an effort to discover the truth about the stock and trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. 
We did exactly the same thing with our lives. Sorry I read so much. I know we, we drift off when that happens. <laughs> but we're going to go back. You have to read it all to get context, then we're going to go back and unpack. Fair enough? So it says we did exactly the same thing with our lives, so we're going to take a commercial inventory. We're going to get down to the stock and trade, right? We're going to get down to the truth. How many of you in this process have discovered that there sometimes is a difference between your truth, other people's truth about you, and the truth about you? So the effort here is to narrow the gap, because I need to operate in the truth. Yes? In fact, how many of you know that the truth is that you are an addict of the hopeless variety? Death, insanity, or institutionalization. How many of you took that fact to the truth and were redeemed? See the difference between the truth and my truth? My truth is I'm hopeless. The doctor's opinion of me is hopeless. But the truth's opinion of me was redeemed and set free. Yes? Okay. So, it says one object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods and get rid of them promptly without regret. So if you're in the fellowship, you may hear people talking about damage and unsaleable goods, get rid of that one dirty secret, secrets are killing you. And that's all well and good, but that's only one object. And I need you to understand something. If you've heard all of that and it's never quite resonated, there are no secrets in the realm of the spirit. So that which you think you're hiding from, you're not hiding from the spirit in you. So what we need you to do in order to grow in awareness so that you have that power to live driving you is start owning this stuff because that's who you were, that's not who you are. And once you know who you are and whose you are, you'll know all of that prepared you for what you're about to do. Okay? All right. So, um, where do we find this power? And how do we find it? So at the conclusion of this searching and fearless moral inventory, you're going to find a great reality within you. So what is the real purpose of this hunt? Power and purpose, right? You're going to discover power and purpose within you. Yes? Okay. All right. So if the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. So I'm looking for the self manifesting in various ways. Now, the interesting thing is we don't have to make it up. They wrote down the common manifestations. Because we know we got a hundred forms of fear, but they've got fairly common manifestations. Yes? Yep. All right. So being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Resentment is the number one offender. Yep. How many of you can relate to holding on to resentment? How many of you can relate to the fact that you weren't going to lay those down until you found something better? 
Because that resentment was a source of life until I found out what the real source of life was. Does that make sense? Okay. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we've not only been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. How many of you have trouble with the idea of being spiritually sick because you're not yet evolved into this whole understanding that this God they're talking about is not a God of your creation. I'm a creation of that God that dwells within me and expresses himself through me. So if you're not there yet because of your experiential level, how many of you have trouble with the idea of being spiritually sick? Any of you? Some people do. I, just, I know you're out there you don't want to raise your hand. That's fine. Let me help you. How many of you, when you see an animal out there on the street and its fur's all matted and it, it looking a little disheveled, you intuitively know that animal's sick? Anybody? You with me? How come when you see your brother and sister looking the same way, you don't know the same thing intuitively? How many of you got out there looking matted and nasty in the street? I didn't even know that about me. Does it make sense? Okay. All right. So here's why we want to know that what that spiritual sickness may look like in us and our brothers and sisters is because when the spiritual maladies overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. We often try and work on the mental and the physical and neglect the spirit, and without the spirit, the other two have no power. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. How do y'all normally deal with resentments? <laughs> Share them with a friend? So they're talking about changed behavior, and it's subtle, but many of us, even without knowing it, how many of you, as you started to grow spiritually, found out that you really were kind of a chronic complainer? And no one else seemed to notice, but it really bothered you. <laughs> Ever had that experience? Okay, so what we learn as a discipline, a practice, is to start writing that down. Take captive the thought, write it down. Don't, don't just keep spinning it like we're prone to do. And don't share it with someone else and poison the consciousness. Does it make sense? All right. And... <clears throat> Oh, there we go. So, we listed the people, institutions, and principles with whom we are angry. We ask ourselves why we are angry. Yeah. Do you ever ask yourself why you're angry? Yeah. How many of you knew exactly why you were angry? Yeah. And how many of you at times had no idea why you were angry? Yeah. See, those are those calamities and pomps and worships that have obscured our consciousness of all kinds of things. If you're in treatment, they're talking to you about trauma-informed care. Right? We're going to have to take a look at that stuff. Okay. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Any of you have just such a rough start and so many bad interactions with people that you just stayed angry? Or if you weren't outwardly angry, did you have a depression that kept you down? Because depression is basically anger without enthusiasm. Does that make sense? All right. So on our grudge list, we set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations, which had been interfered with? 
So that's what I'm trying to look at. How many of you discovered that that was most likely to happen in really personal relationships? So you don't really mind that people slight you, that you don't really interact with all the time, but when you get in close, these things really, yeah? How many of you concluded from that that you're just not going to have any personal relationship? I'll just be by myself. How many of you stayed angry? And that proves to us that the main problem centers in the mind, right? I can be all by myself and still hating on them. And they're not even there. Okay. So we're usually as definite as this example. If they go through it, I'm not going to. It says, we went back through our lives. Nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. Why? And there's no real wrong answer here, but who am I lying to at this point? Just me. Just me. Right? So if I'm egoically clinging to something I know is not serving me, I might want to reconsider. Yeah? Okay. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. How many of you didn't know you were lying to you, but upon consideration, you realized you'd been telling a story that allowed you some kind of cover that really wasn't serving you. Any of you enjoy victim status for way too long? Okay. So the first thing apparent was that the world and its people were often quite wrong. So how many of you discovered that? How many of you discovered it today? You don't have to be doing an inventory to see that the world and its people are often quite wrong. Yeah? So it says, to conclude that others are wrong was as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Have you ever had that happen? Do you ever mistreat a lot of people because of a wrongdoing done to you or perceived by you? And Okay. So then it says, sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. Any of you ever had that experience where you're just so busy trying to cover up who you've been that you never grew into who you're supposed to be? We got to own it all, right? Who I've been is preparing me to be the best me going forward. I got to know who I am. I got to own that story because it's my story, right? All right. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. You ever thought about why that is? I mean, we all chuckle about it. But we're just fighting with illusions, aren't we? Aren't we just fighting with perceptions? You ever notice how people come up to you and tell you, I'm sorry I did that thing to you? You don't even remember what the fucking thing was they did? <laughs> anyway. As in war, the victor only seemed to win. Our moments of triumph were short-lived. It's plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. I need to say to you, if you have not gone through this process, this book is written at this point in past tense. So if you didn't have that experience, you're not we. If I can persist in holding on to my deep resentment, which I thought was my reason for living at a time in my life, and someone told me that leads only to futility and unhappiness, that would end the conversation because I knew I needed it. That was my reason to get up in the morning, was just to hope I got revenge on that other son of a bitch. Anyway, some, no one else here had anger issues? So, 
So to, this is a hard truth until I realize someone who is redeemed had that experience. They're not talking to me about me. They're talking about the power that met me and what he's doing with me, what he did for them. They're saying that that leads to futility and unhappiness, and I'm wanting to launch into a fourth dimension of existence I hadn't dreamed possible. Yeah? Okay. So it said, said uh, to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it's fatal. So they're talking about, uh, even though I don't know, this is the nature of delusion. I'm permitting a, a resentment that I think I'm entitled to have, but I'm permitting the futility and unhappiness I'm experiencing in my life. And the delusion was I didn't know I was permitting it. I thought y'all did it to me. And we're not the only ones. The eagles, we've said this before, the eagles wrote a song one time, right? So oftentimes it happens that we live our life in chains and we never even know we hold the key. And the chain that binds me to every miserable event is my expectation of how it should have gone versus how it went. Does it make sense? All right, so, so we found that it's fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again, and with us to drink is to die. How many of you have had the experience of a return to active addiction? How many of you had people counsel you on the way there that, that knew what was up? Dude, whatever your, your, your energy's off, your, that addiction to control you got going on is perpetuating something in you that's not good for you. How many of you can remember him telling you that? That's what the authors tried to tell us. Okay. Um, and with us to drink is to die. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. How many of you realize when they're talking about living that any of you an active addiction like me that just walked around dead? Dead in spirit, dead in emotion. Yeah, so, so I wasn't living even though I was alive. So if I want to live, I want to live. I want to live free. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be basically what he wants me to be. That's what I want to have, and that's not going to happen if I'm not free of anger. So I'm going to have to learn to take captive the thought. Does that make sense? Okay. That's why I'm doing the practice of writing it down. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. So now they're telling you how we seed it. That's how they did it. That's how you did it. Those are old English words. What's grouch mean? Sounds like it sounds. How are you today? Okay, for a Monday. There's one coming every seven fucking days, trooper. Might want to get over it. How about brainstorm? Any of you ever go into a fit of rage? Don't even hardly remember what happened. How about, how many of you got a bright idea and launched out on a course of vigorous action? <laughs> Both of those are examples of brainstorms. They may have unintended consequences. Now that you're walking in the spirit, the ideas start growing in the spirit. Okay. okay, so they may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. So if you haven't determined yourself to be an alcoholic, an addict of the hopeless variety, 
then, you know, it's a dubious luxury for others. But if you know this is true, this is, this is a problem for you. Um, we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. So what is the key to the future? We turn back to the list for it held the key, and the key is the truth. Does it make sense? All right, so we were prepared to look at it from an different, entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. How many of you, that, some people read right by that and they don't think about what they're saying, but how many of you have just been paralyzed because of your idea of other people's idea of you? How many of you got yourself in a jam acting in a way they expected you to when you knew it wasn't the authentic you? So the world and its people really do dominate us because I will try and act in a way that I think will make you like me. You still won't like me because you'll never get the opportunity to know me and now I don't like me. Okay. All right, in that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had the power to actually kill. How could we escape? So when they put a question mark, we want us to go inward. Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. How could we escape? That would be the question, yes? Okay. We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? Yes? Are we there? I can't live in resentment. I've determined myself to be an addict of the hopeless variety. Okay, so the answer, the question is how? And then they tell us what they tried first. We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. How many of you tried to wish away your ill feelings? Did you discover, like they, that you could not wish away? How many of you thought you wished them away? And then someone walked in the room that reminded you of those ill feet. So it didn't work, yeah? This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. So what are their symptoms? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, guilt, shame, remorse. What? Yeah, all the manifestations of self, right? That's what we're talking about. Um, so, it's not that hard. If I can own that I'm sick and those manifestations of self are symptoms of my illness, why can't I own that about them? And am I even correctly perceiving them or am I looking through the lens of my thoughts? Because I'm most familiar with selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, and I may assign it to you, but it's really mine. <laughs> Any of you ever done that? That was selfish of you. <laughs> True, but I never claimed anything else. What was your expectation? <laughs> no? There's, there's a book that cautions us. How can you see the plank, or can you see the speck in your brother's eye when you can't see the plank in your own eye? Better you should remove the speck from your eye so you can better see to help your brother. And, and so what I'm always got to be disciplined about is the plank in my eye is my perspective. And it's limited as long as I'm egoically attached to that in, interaction. So we ask God to help, help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. That's a prayer they suggest you do on the fly. Remember, half of them were atheists or agnostics to begin with. I know people cringe 
we start talking about prayer works and the sensory experience, the power of God in us. How many of you have determined as you've grown or as you've even considered this that you do have the power to be kinder than you feel like being? If you started asking for power to be kind when you were trying to take captive the thought and you started actually behaving differently and your mind got changed, would you not believe in this sensory power we call God because it experienced his effects? Because most of you have had that experience before you ever get introduced to it. Even if it was self-preservation, you've learned to take captive the thought, yeah? All right, so add a prayer. God, show me. Give me the power to be kinder than I feel. Give me the power to love the unlovely, tolerate the intolerable, yeah? All right, so it says, when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? I'm, see, if I'm just accusing, I'm not going to be able to help at all. But the minute I ask God, my window opens in my consciousness, and I usually see their plight because it's usually similar to mine. And I start feeling like a yep. So it says, God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. They're trying to tell you God doesn't lead you to somebody without giving you the power to help, but you've got to quit thinking you, that power, although through you, is not of you. You're going to have to get direction. Yeah? All right, so we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. How many of you have had that experience? You ever go up with an opinion of how someone ought to behave and they were less interested in, in it than you? That's why lawyers get their money in advance, because opinions depreciate quickly after rendered. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Claim that promise. If you're disturbed, I hear people all the time say, I just don't like people. Well, if you don't like people, you don't know God, because God loves people. So it's probably human behavior you don't like, and it may even be your own thoughts you don't like. So let's get, let's separate the people from the behavior and my thoughts and see if you're not renewed a bit. Okay, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Why did they use the word resolutely? It's hard, considering the wrongs others have done, to set that aside and find out what, I'm, what my part in it is. That's why we usually suggest you have some help, right? To help pull you through it. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? Though a situation had not entirely been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? See how emphatic they're getting? If I don't find a part, then I have ceded all my power to that situation, person, institution. I have to find a part, even if it's unforgiveness. And then I have to own the fact that forgiveness, though, through me is also not of me because it's a divine act. The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. So I've listed them, and then they said, I'm willing to set the matter straight. Now, why would I be willing to set the matter straight? 
and I'm starting to realize that there is a flow of the Spirit, and it is tangible, and it's relevant to what I'm trying to do, yes, and so I'm willing to do it because that's, that's my fitness exercise, right? Okay. So notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. How many of you found that you were driven by fear, but you wouldn't describe it that way? It says it was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances which, we, which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve, but did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So let's talk about fears that don't have a resentment in connection with them that have driven our behavior throughout our life. Do I got any drinkers in here? How many of you would close the bar every night, no matter how sick you were, just you and the bartender pouring another one down, and you wouldn't leave because you were afraid if you did, something would happen and you'd miss it? How many of you did the same thing at the trap house? How many of you had trouble in relationships because if I settle down, I might miss something? How many of you didn't take jobs because if I did this, then this might happen? How many of you didn't further your education because, shoot, if I go back to school, I'm going to be 40 before I graduate. <laughs> then you got to be 40 and you're still uneducated. Okay, so that's what they're talking about, yes? So, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. So let's start questioning the lie we tell ourselves that keeps us from growing into better versions of ourselves. Do not let fear steal from you that better version of yourself. Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other when it made us cocky, it was worse. So now they've identified the real problem, or the main problem, is this fear problem. And the fear problem is driven by my loss of identity. Not the fact that I lost my identity, but I lost consciousness of my identity. Does that make sense? Yep. Any of you forget who you were? Redefine yourself in terms of other people? Perhaps there's a better way. We think so, for we're now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. When we say God, what are, you, what are we talking about? Power. Okay, so I'm on a diff, diff, different basis. I'm, I'm on the basis of trusting and relying upon power. Where is this power found? Deep down inside. In the last analysis, it's only there that it may be found. Where's the main problem the addict found? In the mind. So the power to live is within me and the problems within me. What am I going to feed? I better feed the power, which means I'm going to have to take captive the thought. Yes? Is it starting to make sense why you want to do this step? Because you're never going to get into the manner of living until you're armed with the facts about yourself. And you're never going to unpack and change the meaning of what you thought was a wasted existence because you had not yet been introduced to your power and purpose. 
Now you're going to have to walk in that power and purpose to come into your full being, who you are and whose you are. Yeah? Okay. All right. So it says we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. When we say God, you say? So any of you that get squishy about the word God, we trust infinite power. You shouldn't get too whacked about that. We're all seeking power. Okay? We're in the world to play the role he assigns. How many of you have to admit that sometimes it seems like we got kind of a shitty assignment? (laughs) It's okay. Own that. Sometimes the world's hard, isn't it? Sometimes the people in it are hard. Sometimes other people we compare it. But if your power and purpose is to go find people just like you and deliver to them this message of redemption that was so freely given to you, and it uniquely qualifies you to reach the unreachable so you can be that superhero you always hope to be, who better than to play the part that is you than you? Reality is there ain't nobody better to play the part. So the question is not why me, it's why not me. Does it make sense? Okay. So so just to the extent we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? That's a handy little trick to know. That's what I used to use opiates for. (laughs) Nobody else? We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it's the way of strength. And why we laugh at the idea because I know what I was able to accomplish on my own. And since I turned my will in my life, my thoughts and my breath over to my creator, much more magnificent things have been done through me that were not of me. You're sitting in one. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. So a question is always, what do I do, what do I do? And it's the wrong question. What will you have me be? Because the doer is handling the details. And we are not the doers. That's why they don't call us human doings. <laughs> now about sex. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for a response. Thank you, Sean. Many of us need an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. And then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or it isn't the right kind. How many of you have been on that end of the scale? Anybody? Where's my meth addicts? Y'all lying if you ain't on that end. <clears throat> How many of you, after a bad relationship, on procreation only? They said we might be a little extreme. 
They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare. The other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. So what they learned is that we don't know as much as we think we do, and it's probably none of our business anyway if it doesn't involve us. Yes? Um, because it's part of our humanity. It's part of our, part of our nature, and it's, again, our, our pleasure pain sensors are all twisted. Anyone? How many of you kept going back to the same type of relationship over and over? Oh, this is going to suck. Watch. <laughs> so it says, what can we do about them? Let's, let's stop lamenting them. It really had nothing to do with them. Anyway, they're inevitably, that kind of person is always going to end up with me because I'm that kind of person. I'm going to see them everywhere. We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? So now we're going to start getting down to the facts about me. Where, where had I been? Not, not that I've been. All humans have been selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate. But where had I been? How was I thinking? How was I acting? And what was the outcome? The facts, yeah? Whom had we hurt? How many of you found out the one that is involved wasn't the only one you hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? You see how we moved to a solution? That's proving to me that I actually know the right behavior even though I can't manifest the right behavior, which gives me more incentive to dig deeper to find power. Because in the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. I'm going to have to find fault with my own actions in the moment. Does it make sense? So we got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. So how many of you want a future sex life? Oh, good, a pretty good number, like 18 of you. <laughs> the rest of you are lying. But So this is really about relationships. So I want people to understand the reason you want to do this inventory is we are going to have human relationships, we're going to have societal relationships, and given that you are going to have them, would you not like to have a sane and sound ideal for the future? Okay, so the product of this isn't to tell someone about me, it's to tell me about me and get a sane and sound ideal for the man I'd like to be in concert with this power I've discovered within me. Does that make sense? And so you know that paragraph we just read through is your 10th step for a lifetime. That's how all-inclusive it is. That's what we're, we're basically, you, when you're doing the, the inventory on the fly, that's what you need to know. Make sense? So we subjected each relationship to this test. Was it selfish or not? How many of you have learned that you're not the best judge of whether something you're fixing to do is selfish? Yeah, sometimes we spin it, don't we? So that would I not need an arbiter within me to help me discern? All the more reason to improve consciousness, right, through this whole process. 
So we ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. But it's not enough to ask God to mold them. I've got to ask him into the moment to help me live up to them. Because in the moments when I'm going to be tested, whether it's what I'm doing. Any of you ever know, had a real good idea, this is what I'm going to do? And I'm not doing that anymore? And then it's like, duck. <laughs> because I didn't ask for power, right? I asked for an ideal, but I didn't ask for power. And I never had the power to follow through. Anyway, we remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be lightly, used lightly or selflessly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. They say must. I suggest to you, because it's suggestive, they're not talking about this is the rule. They're saying, I wouldn't have gone to this much trouble to get an ideal if I'm not willing to grow toward my ideal. If I wrote all this down as my ideal and I'm not willing to grow toward it, then why the hell did I bother? So it's, it's no brain. Does it make sense? It's not a rule. You, it won't work for you unless you honestly want to and are willing to make the effort. You know how we know? Because they learned you had to fully concede your innermost self. And you can't do that based on a lie. So it never is about what you must do to my standards. If I want to grow spiritually, this is what I must do. And if I'm walking someone through it, I'm going to assume you must want to do it. You told me you wanted to grow and I felt the signature of the spirit. I know who you are. Don't you want to know? Yes? Okay. All right. So we must be willing to make amends where we've done harm. Same story, right? How many of you weren't ready to make amends to all of them right away, but you were willing to make amends to some of them, and as you prosecuted your amends, you grew in willingness? Why? Because you felt yourself empowered in the spirit. So it says, that, exactly right. They promised we would lose fear. Good catch. Um, so, so do... We must be willing to make amends where we've done harm, provided we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. That's why I said this is really about a relationship inventory. It's not a big, gory sex inventory. You're going to have to take a look at your human behaviors, but I, the old-timers told me, Joe, write them all down. You probably fucked them all anyway. <laughs> Back to infancy. He was Okay. So in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. Yeah, how many of you got well and God handled that addiction thing so well that now that you were free, you just had all the rest of the decisions? I got this job thing. I got this relationship thing. Yeah, any of you? You had it all handled other than... Some of us do, and this is why we get into a pickle sometimes because... As we grow in this thing, we really, because we're not the doer, we don't have a hell of a lot to do with doing. And it's a hell of a lot easier to just be because a lot of the me not being is me out arranging the lights, the scenery, and the ballet, which was screwing up the punt, you know, the whole deal before. So it says the right answer will come if we want it. Now that's a promise and a condition. The right answer will come. Condition. What will happen if we don't want it? How many of you got the right answer and thought you could improve upon it? So if I want it, isn't really it doesn't mean I won't receive it. It means I won't move in it. Yes? Okay. How many of you have learned to not ignore that as you've grown in the spirit? 
Because you'll, okay. All right, so God alone can judge our sex situation. Who? So now they've taken the mystery out of it, whether I'm being selfish or not, is, is for God to determine. Yeah, he doesn't need my help, no matter how much I want to spin it. So counsel with other persons is often desirable. We let God be the final judge. How many of you got into a relationship that was the right relationship, but all the counsel was against it? That's why it's so important. People talk to me, what do you think about getting in a relationship in the first year? I say, I don't give a shit when you get in a relationship because you don't care about my opinion anyway. But I would suggest, as someone who has hosed a few things, that you take a look at the relationship we discuss in three, get that right, and then do what you bloody well please. Because if your relationship with him is right, you're going to be fine. All right, so... We realize that some people are fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Any perfectionists in the room? So this is for you. Take that in. Is one of the fears I have that I'm not going to do it perfect? Okay. So does this mean we're going to get drunk? How many of you have achieved perfection? and are sober. (laughs) Then it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get drunk. Since nobody achieved perfection. Okay. So it says some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. Another reason why you need to get closer to this power if you really want the power to live, because I had motives I was unaware of, delusion, and I had a motive to get clean long before I could manifest any outward action that would prove I had that motive. So if we, are, if we are sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. We're not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. Again, they're the we. I I hear people, especially in therapeutic communities, talking about forgiveness of self. I'm not going to get into any of that from a therapeutic standpoint. I'm going to tell you the reason I might want God's forgiveness is God's forgiveness biblically means it's the meaning of it or the event itself has been removed or rearranged in my mind. So I hear people say, well, I forgive, but I don't forget. Well, then that's not divine forgiveness. Am I making sense? And I'm not going to go into the biblical references, but I'm telling you, if I forgive, but I don't forget, then it's not love. Because love keeps no record of wrong. So it's completely rearranged in my mind when I have his forgiveness, which is why I might want to add, how many of you, once you found out there was purpose in helping others that's similarly afflicted, and you started feeling the power flowing through you as you helped them, you realized that all that you thought was a wasted life prepared you for this healing experience you're now on. Yeah, and we would have cheated ourselves out of it if we thought abstinence was the floor, right? If that's where we got to stay. Okay. All right, so... To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for strength to do the right thing. 
If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. How many of you have been blessed with a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps? You're working with others? Those are the ones with sex problems. <laughs> we all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we don't. Does it not help to go help others unselfishly when you're obsessing about something that's okay? We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. Yep. Have you had that experience? How many of you are not tripping about sex? Because everyone gets squishy about that. Just tripping about life. And someone calls and you're able to go sit with them, hear them, help them. Maybe just hear them. Maybe hearing them is helping them. And all of a sudden you're unburdened. Okay, so if we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. How many of you had that experience? How many of you took multiple days doing it because it was a lot? Okay. We've listed and analyzed our resentments, and we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. Now, pay attention. The authors are talking. I've heard for years this argument about whether you do one four-step forever. Or you do. Look, you do whatever you need to do to grow spiritually, but... The reality of the situation is this is only a beginning. And I may not even be equipped with the ability to find everything that's in me because I don't have the perspective yet until I walk out in it a while. I mean, and now that I have the benefit of several years' perspective of who I've been and what I've been led to, I have a whole different perspective of some of those interactions in the middle. Does it make sense? So it's, it's appropriate for me to dig in and look at some of that stuff periodically. And I, you know, I'm not telling anyone else, but if you, you either grow or you go around here. Right? So if you don't grow spiritually, you're going back to what you, I mean, that's what we, you cannot coast uphill, they told me. So um, if you've been thorough about your personal inventory, you've written down a lot, we've listed and analyzed our resentments, and we've begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We've commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. So we outgrow it sometimes slowly, right? They told us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly they're going to tell us later. How many of you didn't stay at it long enough? Anybody? You, I know we say, you keep coming until you see. The, just keep helping people, and I guarantee you, you will grow through the experience. Sitting in rooms isn't a bad idea, but that's not going to do anything for you by itself to help you unpack. Understand that. You've got to offer yourself as a servant to somebody. Okay. Um, so, what am I doing here? Oh, we, we've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them, upon them as sick people. How many of you have found it harder for you to get mad at somebody and even consider them an enemy just because of a bad interaction? How many of you, for that, for you, that's changed thinking? Right? That's, that's really a remarkable, sometimes the new people I'm working with will talk to me about, you know, I'm just not angry about this, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you, you're free. Why should you be angry about it? What difference does it make? Totally talks about the Zen experience of watching ducks. And humans could learn from the ducks because 
The ducks will swim into each other accidentally on the pond and they'll flap their wings and quack, quack, quack and then swim away peacefully. <laughs> and humans will flap and scream and then we'll walk away. That motherfucker! <laughs> so be a duck. In this book you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What'd they say? So they talked to us about Wright Brothers experiment. Everyone told a man could not fly. They didn't say their engineering excellence or their experience at aeronautics. They were bicycle repairmen. But their childlike faith was the mainspring of their accomplishment. My faith in first the process and then the power is the reason I stand here so many years later restored. Yes? Okay. So we hope you're convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. I mean, you have found that by participating in the process, you're less disagreeable with what's going on. It's a process, right? Sometimes shit happens. We're pretty sure God made a mistake. He was a... <laughs> if you already made a decision and in inventory of your gross or handicaps, you've made a good beginning. So this is the beginning, right? They told me that we were rocketed. Step three was the launching pad. Step four is the rocket. Now armed with the facts about myself, I'm going to start moving to build spiritual fitness. And ultimately, the big amends is 12 to carry this message, right? Carry the message in my walk, yeah? Okay? That being so, you swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And next week we'll look at five, six, and seven. Thanks much.